Coast Church, Charlotte. All right, it's five after. I want to thank you all for joining in here. We are in our midweek connect enabled by technology that in uh, very interesting and fun way allows us to be spread out over the metro area and still be a part of a a discussion and so we're thankful for that um i do miss seeing you guys um but i see how many of you log on from your cars and various places some of you from work uh, that i i can see the advantage of uh, a meeting like this and so i'm going to dive into my topic Uh, Let me do a real quick review of my list. I've started the recording. Uh, I will mute the the music while we get started. Let me share my screen and we will be ready. We will be ready to start. So reading view. And now I'm going here to, uh, to share the screen and we will uh, be ready to roll. Here we go. Hopefully you all are having my screen come up on your screen and our subject uh, for the, the, the evening is dealing with seeds of doubt, dealing with seeds of doubt. Let me check real quick with my tech support people. Um, if there is any problem with, any, if, with my microphone or the mix, let me know. Um, but otherwise, I'm just going to keep going unless you let me know. Um, all right. I want to admit uh, at the outset here that all of us are striving to live a particular kind of spiritual life. We're not just, you know... <sighs> In this generation, in this time, Americans working a job, hoping to take a good vacation. We all of us, by a decision, by the act of our will, we made a decision to follow after the kingdom of God and to seek in, in, in no small way to place God at the center the center of our lives. Uh, this is something that you may decide it one day but you'll have to reinforce it and sometimes redecide it day after day after day because the battle that happens, I wish this weren't the case, but the, the battle that happens within our flesh and within our carnality is such that we are always being turned to the mindset and the values of the world in which we live, the generation in which we move and have relationships they, that is always, always, always coming in to us in some way to influence uh, the decisions that we make. And it is a real, a real challenge for all of us. It is not, how shall we say, uh, simply um, something where we can um, pretend like nothing else matters and there's no other influences. And all we do is all day just stand in courts of praise and worship. Um, If that's your story, then maybe you need to write a book. Um, The reality is, is that you can spend time in your morning prayer, drive to work, you're doing good and get hit by a wall of trouble at work that is such that for all intents and purposes, you forget that you were trying to live a certain kind of spiritual life. Now, I'm not talking about sin here. Uh, I'm talking about a way of seeing the world, a way of integrating the kingdom of heaven, which is spiritual, which is in faith with the physical world in which we live. Now, the result of this battle is that Before we are defeated by temptation, before we are deceived by false doctrine, before we are in some way uh, a victim of a stumbling block in our path, um, oftentimes the battle will begin with a seed, a seed of doubt that is planted by the enemy, which is almost always in some form of a lust of the flesh the lust of the eye, or the vanity, the pride of life. It almost always starts with that kind of a seed. That is temptation. Now, doubts come in our mind. Things that God has promised can be difficult to hold on to as you go through the ups and downs of your life. Uh, So it can be a temptation. It can be a doubt. 
or it can be a fear, which is related, but slightly different. How do we, how do we deal with seeds of doubt in our life? And how do we live as those who are more than conquerors? Well, the only way we're going to do that is if we live by the power of the Holy Ghost. There's no way to be a <laughs> more than a conqueror without the victory, the power and the presence of God in our life. There's no way to be a victoria, victorious in the flesh. However, we live in this flesh and it must be daily submitted to the spirit. You aren't given um, ready-made spiritual power. That's God's power. But what you are given is an opportunity to submit yourself to God's power. And something happens when we as vessels submitted to God become an avenue, a channel, a venue for the miraculous in our life. So uh, let me get started. Dealing with seeds of doubt. Second Corinthians chapter number five, verse number five. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, it's easy to read this as though the advice given is that we go around through our friends and family and we try to destroy everything that other people believe that we disapprove of. That's one way to read the scripture that is in error. And the cue of that, to see that that's not what he's talking about, let the second half of the scripture be embraced with the first half half of the scripture. We take captive every thought and make it obedient, obedient to Christ. In other words, I cannot control what my friends and family um, give into, think about, are swayed by. And oftentimes I can do more harm than good by trying to control them. The way to make a difference is to seek to control me. I have enough battles right here that I need to fight uh, without trying in some way to go around controlling other people's arguments. Uh, I will stand for my arguments. Um, I will, in many cases, defend my faith. I will, in many cases, give an answer. But the challenge of 2 Corinthians 5 and 5 is the, the seeds of doubt, the battlefield of the mind, where we, we identify and we acknowledge arguments thoughts, seeds of doubt planted in our minds, and we bring them unto the, a submission to the word of God, the law of God, we make those thoughts obedient to Christ. So here we are striving to serve God, striving to embrace eternal values and striving to live biblically. If we aren't doing those things, then we've, we've, miss something fundamental and i'm not exactly sure why we are you know uh that's that's fundamental i mean we are trying to serve god embrace eternal values and live biblically it is a struggle it is a battlefield we have to see everything different not with eyes of flesh but eyes of spirit understanding and insight further this struggle within will often seem silly to our emotions. We will choose to do something like turn the other cheek, do you see? And your emotions will say, that's crazy. They're taking advantage of you. You're always the victim. And your emotions will think it utterly nonsensical. <laughs> it's crazy for you to live this way, but you choose it. You Turn away from your emotions and their scream and demands for uh, justice and truth. They are seeing through vanity there. Isn't that, isn't that a little bit crazy? The here at the earth. I just saw a text from brother that I had in Corinthians 5 and 5. He says it's like Corinthians 10. Thank you for that correction. Let me move along. Um, it doesn't make sense, but this way, live spirit, the call of the, and to live this way is what it means to be 
vessels in the hands of God, useful to healing a broken world. Works the need Jesus. You will see, you will pray, you will lay hands on the sick. In other words, part of the solution. But the only way we can be part of the solution is if we live by the standards, the values, uh, the, the methods, the justice of a heavenly kingdom. And we have to choose it and choose it and choose it and choose it day after day after day. If we will choose it, if we will find within our heart a mustard seed of faith where we can see a world that's not obvious, and we can seek a city whose builder and maker is God. Um, this image to us uh, that Abraham saw a city, um, to us it, it can be quickly just kind of, well, that's, that's King James speak. Um, that's kind of a rhetorical way of speaking. But I, I want to I challenge you to pause for a moment and see that in a nomadic, a nomadic society, which is what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob they lived as nomads, as wanderers, as sojourners. A city was how people organized themselves. That is how a nomad views a city. These people have organized themselves in this way. And so when he is looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, it is as though he's saying, I want to organize my whole world around the law of God. I want to organize my values, my vision, my dreams, my hopes. I want to organize it around the kingdom, the law, the justice, the heart, uh, the vision of God. If we make that choice, we become uh, people of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the beginning of us being transformed from part of the problem to part of the solution we begin to live out a kingdom that is upside down from this world. And this is what we are honored to be a part of. This is the greatest honor of our life to be a part of a kingdom of God. And yet, if we're going to be fair, we're going to have to admit that living this way is a continual battle for our thoughts. We fight this battle in our minds. And when we are victorious in our minds, the life we live is a natural outflow, a natural overflow, do you see? When we win in our minds, when my mind is right, the victorious life is a natural outflow of this battle that I have won uh, of faith and submission to God in my mind, and I then will display, my life will display that victory. Conversely, if I lose the battle of the mind, I might still, you know, go through the motions of religion, but I can be, as we all know, I can be far from God on a church pew because I've lost this battle of my mind. The spiritual battle of faith is in the mind. And if we're going to win it, we're going to have to recognize seeds of doubt because just as a seed represents potential, and that is true spiritually, so it is in carnality, our negative potential, our sinful potential begins with a seed. Very few people, very, very few people um, live lives where they fall into some compulsory, self-damaging, toxic, um, horrible reality. It, it didn't, they didn't jump all the way to the end of the story. It started out as an experiment. It started out as fun. It started out as a small obsession. But if you let giants grow, they will get bigger and bigger. We have to fight the battle in our mind. So the best example of how seeds seeds grow into something else, I want to uh, remind you of the story in the book of Genesis where Satan in the form of a serpent plants a seed in the mind of Eve. And this is where the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the, uh, in the garden? Do you see how this is just a thought? It's just an idea. It's just a seed. You will not surely die. Uh, here's the deal. God knows that if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened. Then you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Quick reminder, you guys all know this. Most of you could teach this. The serpent did not have the authority to make Eve do anything. We need to be reminded of that. 
The serpent did not have power over Eve. The serpent had no uh, actionable power to make Eve do anything. But what the serpent could do was plant the seed of doubt, the seed of doubt. And as that grew to fruition, that seed of doubt would represent a whole world, a whole story, a whole broken drama of sorrow and loss and sin and every pain and every loss and every murder and every crime and every abuse. It grew out of this moment. So it is that the seed of doubt is a whole world waiting to be born of spiritual failure, of weakness. You do not know where it will take you when you first get on the train. <laughs> you just got on the train. This is true of the spiritual things. We can, through the word of faith, through worship, through teaching, through Bible study, we can plant the good seed of the word in our life and it grows into a whole world of possibility. I love to see people blessed. I know you do too. I love to see people uh, blessed. I love stories where people come to God and they're, they're kind of getting started and they've got a lot of mess and baggage, and, but they, 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 they give their life to God. They get involved in the life and the spiritual health of the church. And um, over time, you see how God blesses them. It's not long before every zone of their life is beginning to flourish. God begins to add to them. God begins to bless them. God begins to keep them and care for them. I love that because it was the good seed of the word that sprouted in their heart. So it is with the negative, the doubt, it can take you into a whole different realm of possibility that is opposite the kingdom of God. So I want to show this in the life of Jesus because I think we would not be given all of these examples and just be reminded that the example of a seed of doubt is given from Old Testament to New. We read from Genesis where Eve is the recipient of this doubt. Has God really said? She falls for this. Uh, that's, that's, we're talking about the book of beginnings. All right, now let's go to the life of Jesus. And you're going to see the exact same thing brought against Jesus that was brought against Eve. The difference is that he was in all points tempted like as the rest of humanity. He did not fall for the tricks of the devil. Matthew 4, verse number 1, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to a desert. There he was tempted by the devil. Jesus went without food for 40 days and 40 nights. After that, he was hungry. Well, yeah, <laughs> the devil came tempting him. The devil came tempting him and said, notice the devil doesn't have power over Jesus and the devil didn't have power over Eve. But what he has is this seed of doubt. If you are the son of God, if you are the, let me just place this doubt right here on uh, the table that you have to deal with. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to be made into bread. Now, Jesus does not entertain the seed of doubt. That's what Eve did. She entertained it. Jesus rejects it because he uses scripture to correct scripture. He does not take scripture add vanity and come up with a theology. He lets a scripture interpret a scripture. Uh, Eve takes the seed of doubt, swallows it whole, vanity. She combines, watch, the word with her vanity. You will be like God. Whole different story. Um, and so Jesus instead uses scripture to interpret scripture. It is written, man is not to live on bread alone. Man is to live by every word that God speaks. The devil took Jesus up to Jerusalem, the holy city. He had Jesus stand on the highest part of the house of God. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, here, just have a seed. Just think about this. Just, just, just a seed of doubt. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, he has told his angels to look after you in their hands. They will hold you up. Then your foot will not hit a stone. If you're the son of God, here, take a scripture, add your vanity to it. And let's get a doctrine that way. 
Jesus corrects it. He lets scripture interpret scripture. He says to the devil, it is written also, you must not tempt the Lord your God. Again, verse eight, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. He had Jesus look at all the nations of the world to see how great they were. He said to Jesus, now he's given him two seeds of doubt. If you are, if you are, now he's going to give him a lie. This is the tactics of the devil. Seed of doubt, seed of doubt, have a lie. If he says to uh, Jesus, I will give you all these nations if you will get down at your feet and worship me. Con men always want to offer something that's not theirs to give or sell. I will give you these nations if you will get down on my feet and worship me. And uh, Jesus rebukes the devil. How does he do it? With the word of God. Get away, Satan. It is written, you must worship the Lord your God. You must obey him only. Then the devil went away from Jesus. Angels came and cared for him. We started at the book of beginnings, and I showed you how the serpent came with a seed of doubt, and he planted the seed of doubt, and that doubt began to grow, and it was um, fertilized by vanity. It was in some way nourished by the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It was looked at the fruit. It was good to eat. It was good to look upon. It would make her like God. Lust of the, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, those three things. Uh, and so even in the story of Jesus Christ, it's the same principle. This is a scriptural insight to what it is to have a seed of doubt placed in front of us by our enemy. So uh, real quick, I want to go over three sources of seeds of doubt. This is not a comprehensive list. Um, I am just sticking with three because it, it helps with teaching comprehension, not to try to do a list of 1300. Uh, let's just start with three. This will embrace the vast majority, um, but it is not comprehensive. Number one, uh, sources of seeds of doubt is lust combined with a lie. Lust combined with a lie. What is the power of lust over us? Well, it's something we already want. Do you see? Uh, lust is something we're already uh, incentivized to justify for ourselves. We already want a piece of chocolate. <laughs> we already want a cinnamon roll. Now we just need a way to justify having it. And uh, so what we have is the lust and what Satan has is the lie. I want to say that again. What we bring to the table is the lust and what Satan brings to the table is the lie. And so we have the lust, here comes the lie. That, that's harmless. Um, sin doesn't really harm. It doesn't harm anybody. It's, it's just, you know, everybody, everybody has this desire. Everybody's doing this. Every, it's, you know, come on, you know, God is love. Sin doesn't matter. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, this is always, always a seed planted in our heart and mind that takes us somewhere. It's growing. It's not static. It's taking us somewhere. And that is, we already had the lust. I wanted this. I wanted that. I wanted to go there. I wanted to do the other. Now I just need a lie so I can have freedom of action. The second type of uh, seed of doubt that's planted in our life um, is uh, doubts about God's nature. I would say the most common source of this kind of a seed of doubt is from the influences of humanism, where what humanism does is it, um, it redefines justice according to how it feels uh, to the human uh, who is judging it, um, as, though, as though what we decide has precedent over um, the values that are demonstrated in the scripture and the way this usually happens. And I, I don't, I'm not going to get too deep into this for time's sake, but the way this usually happens is that a critic will find a story in the old Testament that is harsh, no disagreement about that. And then they will try to say, if that happened then, and those people said, God told them to do it, then God must not be real. 
um, they'll get some story like this to cause a seed of doubt to be planted. Um, and this is really, uh, I, I would say the biggest source of this, again, is, is humanism and its influence in our, in our time and our, our, our society. Um, we have to be aware of the imperfect justice of the human mind. We see in part, we know in part. That is true about justice. And that's also true about how things in ancient times happened, how they were perceived by the people on the ground, and how they were in some way passed from one generation to another in an oral tradition uh, that would be written down into the scripture. As if we understand everything about that, and therefore having known all there is to know about that story, we, we will judge God. Um, I, I oftentimes try to get people who are in that, in that state of mind where they're, they want to find an Old Testament story and they want to say, that's why, you know, God can't exist or that's, you understand what I'm saying? Um, and I try to get them focused on Jesus because Jesus is not God working through imperfect flesh. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Let me give an example of that. I want the Lord to use me as a minister. If you are involved in any uh, ministry at all, um, you want the Lord to use you. But I have to be honest, um, I do some things that I can't blame God for, and I hope other people can't blame God for. God has included me. God has honored me to include me in a great work, and God has honored you to include you in his in his great redemptive work um, in the earth. We're blessed by that. That's wonderful. However, um, I represent, I represent, uh, shall we say, muddy waters. <laughs> I, am, I am the pure water of spirit mixed with the clay of flesh. Um, and so you really, if you are wise at all, you would, you would have an open heart toward any good thing I could do. Um, but you would not ever make the mistake of thing saying to yourself, oh, that that brother Nathan, he's the perfect manifestation of the heart of God. I mean, come on already. You understand what I'm saying? So every time you read about um, a story where someone did something in the name of God, you are looking through the eyes of people who the Lord are working with in spite of the hardness of their hearts. This isn't my idea. This is a biblical idea. Read, uh, and I, I, I don't have too much time to get into this, but I just want to make one more point and then we'll kind of move along. Read the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter number 11 and read all of those names. And uh, I would shock you if I stood here, stood here and said to you, um, Almost every one of those names was adulterers. And you would say, oh, Brother Nathan, you are. Oh, my goodness. But here's the thing. Um, we know what God thought about polygamy. We know Jesus told us what God thought about polygamy. You're supposed to have one wife. Why did the Lord not just cast them all out? Because they all had more than one wife. Why did he didn't? The, Jesus tells us it was through God's mercy and God's love that he endured with them and worked with them and did not give up on saving us simply because of the hardness of their hearts. And they all were living in adultery by having multiple wives. We know what God thought. That's not debatable. We know what God thought. God still worked with them. So don't give me, you know, that old um, uh, misconception that grace is only a New Testament thing. No, it's just shown differently in the Old Testament. The Lord worked with them. All the kings, all of these, so the judges, uh, the Lord worked with them. So when you look at me doing a work in the Lord, you're not seeing the pure water of pure deity. Lord, no, you're seeing muddy water. The Lord is including me. And the truth is, I'm, 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 if I get anything wrong, you blame me. If anything good happens, you give the glory to God. Anybody with sense would see that. But when you look at Jesus, this is why we celebrate Jesus. This is why we exalt his name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. This is why we exalt him above every other 
uh, figure. This is why we baptize in the name of Jesus. This is why whatever we do in word or deed, whether eating dinner or baptizing into a new life, we do. How? In the name of Jesus. Why? When you look at Jesus, you're not seeing muddy water. You're seeing God not working through the flesh and being merciful with them in spite of the hardness of their heart. You see God pure. You see him manifest in the, in, in the flesh. And if you can get your eyes off of uh, some textual criticism of 1000 BC or some uh, justice error that someone did, and uh, you're, that's all muddy water. But when you get to Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be safe. And so humanism plants seeds of uh, doubt about God's nature. This third source of seeds of doubt is false doctrines that tell us in some way what we are predisposed, we already want to hear. We call that some form of tradition. Um, when we have itching ears, um, uh, that 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 you know if you grew up in the church like me you think of that itching or ears is this what people want to be told is that they can sin and get away with it um, but if you look through all church history with the exception of indulgences to the roman catholic church um, which actually was not quite as simplistic as oftentimes we are tempted to 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 uh, to, to present it but nonetheless it was ugly on nearly every level um uh, with that with that exception very few people are like just saying sure you know <laughs> well no. you know god doesn't care very few people are saying that no there are two great attacks against the new testament that both of them represent people predisposed they have a tradition they want to hear and they are these two um judaizers or law and Gnosticism. So very quickly, um, both of these represent traditions, one from the house of Israel and one from the philosophers of Greece. Both of these are previously established traditions that zealous, religious, sincere people honor and revere. And when Jesus comes and changes everything with a story of hope, grace, renewal, repentance, regeneration in his name. There was large groups of people who could not receive it pure. And so what they wanted to do is they wanted this new thing in Jesus Christ, but they also wanted their traditions honored. And that formed the two great challenges to New Testament theology. On one hand, law, Jesus is great, but law still matters. That's, that's uh, Judaizing. That is uh, probably the biggest challenge the New Testament church faced for the first uh, century of its, of its existence uh, by a long shot, by far. In fact, uh, more than a few disciples uh, ended up where they were uh, because of the hatred of people who thought when I say ended up where they were, I mean dying for their faith, um, was uh, because people wanted them, particularly uh, people of a Jewish inheritance, wanted them to honor the law of Moses. This is how uh, Paul gets in his predicament. So later on, the big challenge, as more and more Jews just rejected outright and the revival moved to uh, the Gentiles, um, you see the same problem. Uh, people like this idea of Jesus, but uh, what, you mean he was, God became flesh? This is offensive to someone who has a very Greek view of uh, deity. And so what they, it's not that they don't like Jesus, is that there's something they want to hear. They, they want to hear, they have this, and so whether it's Judaism or Gnosticism, the story of the first 300 years of the church is two great theological slugfests. First, law of Moses. Secondly, the influences of Greek uh, beliefs for, uh, showing out and manifesting as Gnosticism, which basically believes this. Jesus was not really flesh. He didn't really die. He appeared to die, but he didn't really die. Um, this is uh, the struggle, the battle that the New Testament church faced 
Nobody in the New Testament church, well, maybe with some very small cultic exceptions, nobody was saying, hey, God doesn't care about sin. What they were wanted to do is they wanted to blend. They wanted to blend something they were predisposed to hear with something that God was doing. And this is not my history. <laughs> this isn't my theory. Read some church, theory, uh, church history and you will learn all about this yourself. Now, how do we fight these sources, real good, lust combined with a lie. Number two, doubts about God's nature. Number three, false doctrine that tells you something you want to hear. In other words, you want Jesus, but you want the traditions reinforced too. Because um, how could Jesus be enough? This is this is seeds of doubt. How uh, do we fight these seeds of doubt in our life? So number one. The first one uh, was this issue of a lust combined with a lie. Um, we have to live our life every day reminding ourselves that God knows better than we do. God knows us better than we do. God knows our nature better than we do. And if God prohibits something, it's not to in some way limit our fun or hinder our joy. It's because he knows our nature better than we do. And what we think is fun is going to come back and harm us. And the pain and destruction is going to vastly outweigh the short-term pleasure of sin for a season. And if we cannot submit ourselves to the values, the justice, and the word of God, and if we can't do that, and if we have to find a way to justify, Satan is always waiting to give us a lie that will allow us to pursue our lusts. Number number two, uh, the second one uh, was uh, doubts about God's nature, and the source of this is primarily humanism. How do we combat these? Uh, we have to submit ourselves to God's word and God's promise and hold that at a higher standard and value in our life than how things seem to us, then the justifications of our mind, uh, the, 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 the new age philosophy, uh, we have to trust God's nature when we do not understand his word. And it's not just us, but this is the test that the disciples had to pass. Jesus would not plead with them to pass this test. They self-selected on whether or not they could pass this test. And how did God test them? John chapter number six, he intentionally offends them, intentionally. He knows, but he says it anyway, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part against me. This is a direct prohibition. This is in defiance of the direct prohibition in the law by Moses. This is what heathen did. This is the one of the greatest transgressions of morality in all the ancient world. And this is what the image Jesus used. And the Bible says uh, many of them who had followed Jesus up to that point, when he said that to them, the Bible tells us they did not follow him anymore. But Jesus did not beg the disciples to stay he did not run after them and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I was really misunderstood. Everybody has to do that. Jesus didn't. I mean, if someone misunderstands me, I'm the first one to call him. And look, I think that was taken out of context. Um, Jesus didn't do it. He simply turned to Peter and said, hey, would you like to go too? This is a, a test of submission. Do I have to understand and approve in order to follow? Or can I submit myself and say, he is Lord over all? The disciples proved worthy of this test. And they said it like this. They didn't say they understood. They didn't say they could explain it. They said, where else can we go? You have the words of life. Even if, we, In other words, even if we don't understand everything, we know you're making more sense than anybody else in this outfit. <laughs> and so you see a real, actionable picture of submission to God's word. I trust God's nature, even when I do not understand his word. How do I learn to trust his nature? I look at him at Calvary. I look at the, the links he will go to to save me. I look at him, hands outstretched, dying, the just, the good, the righteous for us, the sinners, the worthy. We deserved it. 
He took it. That's God. That's God. Don't look through the muddy waters of what this one or that one. That's God right there. You want to see the heart of God? Look at Jesus saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You want to see the heart of God? Look at Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You want to see the heart of God? Don't find some muddy waters and say you've seen the whole story. Look at Jesus on the cross saying, into thy hands, I commend, I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. But the story wasn't over. It was just beginning. Trust God's nature, whether or not you understand God's ways or God's justice. Don't judge God. That's what the humanism deception wants you to do. You deify yourself by judging God. Number three, the third one was false doctrine that tells you what you want to hear. This is the itching ears um, issue, and it is demonstrated through the story of Israel, and it's also demonstrated through the story of the New Testament church. This is where you there's something you want to hear. You want to add it to the gospel. You don't want it just to be, you want to kind of, rather than change yourself, you want to change the gospel. <laughs> and so the path to correcting this is to rightly divide the word of God. This is what Jesus did, where he uses scripture to explain and interpret scripture. And we remind ourselves, and I, I talk particularly those of you who have grown up in the apostolic church, you know that uh, there's so many people in the apostolic church who they're, they're first generation. They did not, um, they did not uh, grow up uh, with 300 years of apostolic inheritance. That's not how this movement uh, operated. Uh, um, it's a fairly new thing that the Lord has done, this latter reign of promise. Um, many of you had... Uh, grandparents who they were far from this kind of um, New Testament apostolic restoration experience. And your inheritance may be of some other denomination or some other theological um, uh, inheritance from your parents. Uh, but you cared enough about the scripture to stand upon the scripture and you did not let a duty to the inheritance you received have a higher valuation than the Bible you held in your hands. And so um, this doesn't mean that we are fractious and we fight over everything. Um, this does, however, mean that there's one who is good and there's one who died for our sins. And there's one who will present, let's present us faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. And that is Jesus Christ, our savior. So, all right, I think that's enough of that. Let me stop presenting. I um, went a little long on my presentation. Um, I'm kind of sorry, but um, I just haven't been teaching lately, and so I had to work it out on all all of you. Um, is there uh, any any uh, questions? Uh, I'll take a moment right now and give you some time to uh, uh, think about it and type into the question uh, area there. Uh, anything that that you might would have and um i'm going to get started on the questions here this is a great question uh pastor anthony how, how do we gently help someone else through their own seeds of doubt moments in their life um well that's that's hard to say um there's not a one size fits all. Um, how, do, how do I mean? What do I mean by that? Um, the person you're dealing with has a unique uh, person uh, personality and you have a unique personality and how you will help people will very much be a function of who you are and who they are. But if God has placed you in their life, it is because he wants you to help them. He wants you to be a, a, a word of life to them. And so you cannot back away and I cannot back away from helping people. Um, I think the first important thing for us to do is to uh, have real empathy and affection for them. Um, you know, you don't have to be like people to help them, but you do have to like people to help them. 
<laughs> people sense very easily when we have judgmental hearts and we are contemptuous toward them and their problems, their struggles. Um, and so gently, kindly, with love, we first listen. And then when we understand, uh, you'd be surprised how many people just need someone to listen. They already know what they need to do. They've heard enough preaching to save Asia. They already know what to do. They're just working through the battle of the mind to get the strength uh, to uh, make that happen, so to speak, to, to make that decision of strength uh, to serve the Lord, to do the right thing. Um, and so uh, listening is a great first step. Uh, and then at having listened, I would say, try to relate. Don't, don't just correct, try to relate. Because if you just correct, it is there's a dismissiveness to it as though you would never, you would never be bothered by that. Dearly beloved here, write down these three points in five scriptures and you will be in all points made whole. Now, you see what I'm saying? Um, you try to empathize um, first, you listen, and then you you try to relate. Um, when people feel realize they're not alone in their struggle, they'll open up and they'll tell you things they didn't tell you before. Um, and that's the power of relating when you relate to them and you're not trying to present yourself as the big bad spirit, big bad spiritual prophet. Um, the relation where you make an intentional to relate to their circumstance, it will, it will open doors. Um, and so then finally, and finally, uh, give them scriptures. They're not going to take you with them, but they're going to take scriptures with them um, and try to continue contact with them. Um, don't try to fix them in one uh, meeting. In fact, don't try to fix them at all. Try to empower them. It's not the same thing. Um, I have made more than a few years of mistakes in my life trying to fix people. You don't fix people. You empower people. They choose to fix themselves. Um, that didn't sound exactly right. None of us fix ourselves. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is they decide to take action or not. I think that's a probably a better way to say it. I can't take action for them. I can't fix them. I can empower them. I can give them a tool set. I can give them scriptures. And they have to look in their spirit and see if they have a, a mustard seed of faith. Can I believe God? Um, this is the same question that will be replayed in every Bible story replayed in every example of scripture. It'll start with Abraham. Abraham believed God and the Lord imputed it to him as righteousness. Abraham wasn't righteous. That wasn't his accomplishment. His accomplishment was faith. And this is the path. Read, read, read Romans chapters three and four. Uh, actually read Romans. It's, you can read it in just, you know, about, uh, I don't know, maybe a little over an hour. Um, that, that's the whole point. Can you believe God? So we empower them with word and then they, uh, they choose. Now, now let me try to talk to um, some, some real talk here. Um, some people are there. They, how, how do I say this gently? You will find in, in ministering to people um, that some people are trapped in a type of cycle. There, there's almost like a rut, and you you realize as they work through this rut, you realize that the seed of doubt that they are bringing to the situation is part of their coping mechanism for the situation. And so when that happens, um, I, I wouldn't decide this immediately about anyone. But if you work in ministry very long, you will, you will see people that use the seed of doubt. They place it on the, place it on the shelf. And when they need it, they go get that little seed of self-justification out and they add it to the, the, the stew of their life that they're making. And then when they don't need it, um, they'll put it back on the shelf and they, they do this cycle um, and they're coping. That is what, that is how people um, without the power of God uh, handle things. We cope. God has not called us to cope. God has called us to transcend. There isn't, 
much of a testimony in coping, but there is a tremendous testimony in transcending. Transcending is not dependent on whether or not you get what you want. It's not dependent upon whether or not, excuse me. It's not dependent upon whether or not, you know, the, the prayer is answered in a miraculous moment. Um, transcending is rising above it and knowing God's got your back. I prayed three times asking the Lord to remove this, this, what was in my eye. Three times I prayed and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. That's transcending. He had an answer. He wasn't in confusion anymore. He had an answer. It wasn't what he wanted. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. <laughs> but he transcended by having an answer. And you know he transcended because he didn't pray five, six, seven, eight. He had a sense of purpose. God was using the weakness. Here's another example of him transcending. I saw that when I was weak, I actually was strong. Do you see? Um, and so when a person has a kind of a seed of doubt that they use from time to time to cope with problems uh, and they cycle, um, what you will realize and what I will realize is that they need to face the truth because it's the truth that will set them free. Um, they have to be honest about the state of the, 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 the rut, the, the, the sinful justification uh, that they are in. But that's, I went deeper on that than I uh, intended to. Uh, any other questions? Last call for questions. All right. Thank you all for joining with us. Let's take a moment here and let's just sit together and let's just think about seeds of doubt in our life. And then we're going to pray together. I'd like you to ask yourself, I'd like you to ask the Lord um, for wisdom, seeing the seeds of doubt uh, in our life. Uh, so we are not like Eve, trapped in an outcome because of the seed of doubt. Rather, we want to speak the word of God to that seed of doubt in Jesus' name. Just take a moment, consider the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Bless your people. Give us strength. Give us spiritual insight. We would not be the victim of doubts, the victims of struggles and fears. The Lord Jesus, help us to identify those things. Answer them with the word of God. Rebuke the deceiver in our life. Rebuke the lies of hell. See through the deceitfulness of false doctrine, the trickiness and cleverness of lust, and help us live lives of faith and be part of your kingdom that is given as a gift to this world to make it whole, to save it, to fulfill your redemptive work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. Have a great week. And uh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up this month. I'm excited to see what all the Lord is going to do. And we will, we will talk to you soon. God bless. <laughs>